0: Hello and welcome to the Heaven Bound Podcast. I'm Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus and we are opening the Bible in search of fuel for your spiritual journey. This is where we talk about life, the way it was meant to be and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century. We truly appreciate you joining us on the journey today. It is the last Friday of April. We actually kicked off a five-part Fridays in April series on April 1st, April Fool's Day, and we've been exploring this month Fools of April. If you missed any of those, we would certainly encourage you to go back in part one of this five-part series. We looked at the fool who says there is no God. Part two, We asked from the book of Proverbs, what makes a fool a fool? Part three, when to answer a fool and when to keep silent. Last Friday, we looked at the rich fool in one of Jesus's parables. And Roger, today we go to the writings of the Apostle Paul and this interesting phrase, fools for Christ.
1: Yes, and this is an occasion where... As we've gone through the series, we've noted that the word fool is the strongest word God uses, and you don't really want to be called a fool by God. But here, Paul is talking about how the people were referring to the Christians, and particularly the apostles, as fools. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 10, "'We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. We are distinguished, but we are without honor.'" And so what we want to talk about is this expression that we are fools for Christ's sake. Earlier in the book of Acts, as Paul was preaching in different places, we kind of get this idea. So in Acts 17 and in verse 32, as he's talking about the resurrection of the dead, some begin to sneer, but others said, we will hear you again concerning this. And then again, just a little bit later in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 26 and in verse 24, As Paul was there with the Roman officials, Paul was saying this in his defense. Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. So that first century message of a resurrected Jesus Christ seemed foolish to the world. It just seemed so different. They had their own gods and their gods didn't die. And their gods were not like this Jesus And so the message of salvation through Jesus Christ seemed to be foolish, and that was a tag that they put upon the apostles, that you are fools for Christ's sake. In the first chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul kind of extends upon this, and this is really where we want to kind of park it for just a little bit and talk about some of these things. He says in verse 18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? We'll just stop there for a moment, Jason. Let's kind of go back and kind of look at these phrases here he uses and talk about this idea. How does he mean that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing?
0: Yeah, he goes on, if we were to keep reading in 1 Corinthians 1, to talk about both Jews and Gentiles, right? Jews demand signs, and the idea of a Messiah crucified is not the sort of sign that Jews would be looking for, right? If they're a descendant of Abraham, especially if they live in Judea or the capital city of Jerusalem, they're looking for a Messiah who will come in, wage physical warfare, kick the pagans out, establish us as a major world power. And so the idea of a deliverer who comes and willfully lays his life down that's foolishness in the eyes of a whole lot of Jews. Greeks, on the other hand, First Corinthians chapter one, he says, "Seek wisdom, and the idea of a a, a, a God in the flesh who would make himself weak to the point of death uh, the, the idea of a god who would wash the feet of his own students the, the the idea of a god who would spend time with the lowliest of the low the outcasts um, that, that's just not the sort of wisdom that Greeks would be looking for right they in their minds their gods and their goddesses were Up on Mount Olympus, and uh, those gods would be served in whatever way they prescribed. And, uh, you know, that would be the good life to go up on the mountaintop and and just luxuriate up there. Uh, The Apostle Paul, unashamedly here in 1 Corinthians 1, says, Listen, we're preaching Christ crucified, he is a stumbling block to Jews, he's folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, whether we're Jews or Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the
1: wisdom of God. And it was that wisdom of God that created the whole world. You know, their their, uh, Greek mythology has Atlas, and he's holding the whole world on his shoulders, well, Jesus didn't come to earth looking like that, and Jesus walked among them, and he looked like one of the, just the common people there, and so he didn't have that image that the world thought that he should have. Now, in his 1 Corinthians 1 passage, Paul continues on. and says in verse 26, "'For consider your calling, brethren, that there are not very many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, nor many noble.'" But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God's chosen the weak things of the world to shame those things which are strong. And once again, the, the credibility of our faith is not based upon who's who, who's in the church. Now, through the years, I've read all kinds of uh, famous people who had backgrounds and connections to the church. But that doesn't make us more right. That doesn't make us more credible because here's a famous star and he's a Christian. What makes it right is because of God, and that's the point he's driving at here. There's the, when you look at the early church, a lot of them were servants. A lot of them were common people, and you don't have the Caesars. You don't have the governors who make up the, the membership of these early churches, but what you have is a, what the world would call simple, common, unimportant people, but God is looking upon them as saints that belong to him.
0: And that's not to say, obviously, that God can't redeem someone who is rich. He can't save someone who is powerful. But the heartbeat of all of this is if I'm gonna boast, I need to boast in the presence and the power of God. We hear that in verse 29. We hear it again in verse 31. Let the one who boasts As children of God, we are learning to think differently, value things differently, look at the world differently. And so our greatest boast is not in the diploma we're able to hang on our wall. Our our great boast is not what executive suite uh, of some top level of a skyscraper we work in or in the square footage of our house or the RPMs of our car or whatever it is that you want to talk about. Our boast is in the Lord. God shows what is lowly and foolish in the eyes of the world to change the world, and we're being called to follow in his footsteps.
1: And I think the, the best illustration of this is when we go back to chapter 4, 1 Corinthians, as Paul kind of just walks through what it was like to be an apostle, they were not rock stars. They did not have people you know, holding banners above them and patting them on the back, buying them suits and taking them out to dinners. It's just the opposite. Uh, They were poorly treated. We'll read about that in just a moment. And yet you'd think, okay, if these are God's ambassadors, we would think that they they would be shining bright lights. But that's not the impression. It's not them. It's the Christ that everyone was pointed to. So he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, begin verse 9, For I thank God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we become a spectacle to the world both to angels and to men we are fools for Christ's sake but you are prudent in Christ we are weak but you are strong you are distinguished but we are without honor to this present hour we are both hungry and thirsty poorly clothed roughly treated and are homeless and we toil working with our own hands when we are reviled we bless when we are persecuted we endure we are slandered We try to conciliate. We become a scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. Now, you look at that list there, and you think, well, that that's the loser's list. You you wouldn't think, well, man, I want to sign up for that. That doesn't sound like a successful program at all. But what he's saying is we are like that to the world, but to God, we are his chosen. And again, the emphasis through all this is not who we are, what we've become, what we have done, but the emphasis is on Jesus Christ through all of these things. Well, and we've
0: got a connection from this is the way Jesus lived. We know there were times when he said, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head right the 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 son of man his food is to do the will of the father and we know how gentle and lowly he himself uh, acted in this world he calls the apostles to follow in his footsteps the apostle paul is describing doing just that but this is not simply a, a a description or an academic exercise for those in in Corinth. In chapter three, he says in verse eighteen, "Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God." In chapter four, right after. After What you just read, Roger, he says, I am calling you to become imitators of me in verse 16. And so, Simple idea here. This is the way our Lord lived, defying the wisdom of this world, but changing the world in the process. This is the way the apostles lived, and we hear the accusation in the book of Acts, these men have turned the world upside down. Doesn't it make sense then that disciples, wherever they are, wouldn't change the game, wouldn't act as if, okay, well, that was them. We can have a different mindset. No, the call is follow in these same footsteps.
1: And the world looks at all of this and declares it's foolish because it's not impressive to the world. Uh, what the world wants is is big buildings. What the world wants is big organizations, big movement, big, you know, just everything big, big, big. And it's hard for Jesus to impress upon people that he was humble if he was living in the mansion. It's hard for Jesus to say, everybody come to me, but if he only surround himself with the best of the best. Jesus didn't do that. Neither did his followers then, neither did his followers today. And so when the world looks at us, it might think, wow, it's just not much. You don't have much going on here. But what it is is Jesus Christ in our hearts, and that makes all the difference. And that's the emphasis Paul's putting upon this. The world called them fools, but not God.
0: So a lot of this is going to revolve around who we listen to, right? And it sure does seem to me that is one of the focal points here at the beginning of Paul's letter to these people. He says unashamedly in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12, we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths. To those who are spiritual, there's quite a chain there, but if I could just try and make that as, as simple as possible, what we do isn't always going to make sense to the world. Well, why is that? Just because we're listening to a different spirit, right? We have a different savior, a different sort of leader. We have a different sort of aim. We're part of a different kind of kingdom. I'm reminded of Jesus as he stands before Pilate, the Roman governor, and Pilate saying, don't you know that I have authority either to release you or to have you crucified? Are you really this king that these Jews are accusing you of being? And Jesus emphasizes, my kingdom is not of this world. The, the task of disciples of Jesus in every generation is to come to be at peace with we're listening to different sources. We have a different authority. We have different motivations. We're walking according to different wisdom. We, we may not always make sense in the eyes of human wisdom, but it is not a human being to whom we're accountable. It is not a human being that is our king. We are following the spiritual truths that define a spiritual path
1: or all the way to a home in heaven with God. And running through all this is, this is this constant contrast between the world and God and wisdom and foolishness. And, you know, ancient times, there was the seven wonders of the world. Those are all things made by man. They only exist today. They're gone. But what we think about God's creation, God's power, God's might, n- no man can even match that. And so, again, the world is impressed with itself, and the world says, look what I have done. But when you put that right beside what God has done, it's nothing. It's small. It's insignificant. Uh, The Bible tells us in the book of Psalms that not only has God numbered the stars, he has a name for them all. We don't even know how many stars there are. It's, It's beyond our capability of knowing how many stars, let alone coming up with a name for all of them. God's already got that done. And so the the foolishness of the world is placed here because when you put that right next to God, the world doesn't have anything to compare. The world sure can make a mess. The world can make mistakes. The world can really destroy marriages and relationships and lives, but it doesn't know how to fix things. It can make a sin, but it doesn't know how to redeem a sin. Only God can do those things. And so the world is looking for things to impress it and to show off and to be proud. God has chosen words, words about Jesus that will bring us salvation in his life. And so those are, again, that that powerful contrast running through these chapters.
0: So, Roger, it strikes me. Here we are on Friday. Maybe someone is listening to this on their way to work and... If I really make this personal, uh, maybe the best way of thinking about this is I'm, I'm going to be like a potent grain of salt in the middle of my workplace or the middle of my classroom, the middle of the high school cafeteria. What maybe in the context even of my own home this weekend where I'm gonna stand out. I'm gonna be like a single candle in the midst of a lot of darkness where people believe that they are wise and sophisticated and advanced, but in fact their, their hearts are alienated from God. Now I'm, I'm not called just to walk away from them, hide my light under a basket or be a, a, a camouflage Christian. I'm called to be a uh, like a grain of salt that is marching according to different orders, uh, prioritizing in different ways. Maybe our last couple minutes together, we could brainstorm, okay, how is this wisdom, the, the wisdom that is foolish in the eyes of the world, going to make
1: me distinctive this weekend? What stands out to well, you? Well, one of the first things that comes to my mind is not to be ashamed, uh, you know the, you know the world will stand behind all the authors, all the degrees, and all the professors, and look what i 've done look what i 've done look what i 've done. But in the book of Psalms, it talks about because of God's word, I am more learned than my teachers. I know more than my teachers because of God's word. And so I just need not to be ashamed of what God has said. I need to understand God has said this for a reason. I trust in God and have that faith that God wants me to have. Now, again... You drive, and this happened to me years ago. Uh, I had a little red Grand Am at that time, and I pulled up to a stoplight, and the brightest, reddest Ferrari pulled up right beside me. (laughs) And it's just some young guy, which kind of burned my biscuits because he was a lot younger than I was, and he's driving a Ferrari. And so I looked over at him. I turned up the radio real loud. Well, he looked over at me and turned up the radio and shook my car. <laughs> and so I revved my engine once. He revved his engine, shook my car. The light turned green. I never saw Ferrari again. He was gone, you know? <laughs> and, and, and we can, we can get impressed with stuff like that. Man, I wish I had that Ferrari. Would that change who I am? And, and sometimes what we do is we try to get things to impress people we don't even like in life. What we need to be putting our emphasis on is pleasing God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9, I make it my ambition to please the Lord. I am a disciple of Jesus. I belong to him. I'm going to heaven. What, what can I add to that? It doesn't matter after that. Yeah. And, and I think those are some of the things that will help us to keep that perspective. You'll stand out. You'll be different. Uh, as the apostles were mocked and ridiculed, you may be mocked and ridiculed for uh, what you're doing. You know, why aren't you after this? Why aren't you after this? Why don't you pay five hundred dollars for a pair of tennis shoes? Well, I think the kind of dumb to pay that much for that money. But you know, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? I read the other day about some guy in L.A., and he had two watches stolen, and his watches cost $60,000 each, and he had two of them. And I'm just thinking, why? Yeah, why? And I'm sure he he was kind of proud of those things. But, you know, you think about how many people could have been helped by that money or what good could have been done by that money. And he had two watches, and they were stolen.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Being a fool for Christ, it, it very well may involve
0: being on the outside looking in at times. You know, this Friday night, uh, perhaps everybody in the office is going out to the bar and you know what sort of things happen there and you know how easily inhibitions fall and how easily then that leads to further immorality and to be willing to say, no, I'm not going to do that and here's why i mean there there are co workers perhaps who would view that as foolish? Don't you know in order to get ahead, you've got to go with the flow? Or don't you know that Sunday is your one day to do whatever it is that you want to do? Why in the world would you prioritize church on a beautiful Sunday morning over meeting us on the golf course or out on the lake? There are a variety of ways that we're walking in a different direction, swimming upstream from this world but those who are fools for the sake of Christ have nothing
1: to be ashamed of. Absolutely. And you'll hear lots of times in this context, people saying, well, everybody does this. Everybody believes this. You're the only one who doesn't. And you just smile and say, yeah, that's right. probably right. But just me and Jesus, that's all that matters. Just me and Jesus. Yeah. Fools of April.
0: We've covered a lot of ground. And Lord willing, next Friday, we will shift gears with a brand new Friday series for the month of May. But Roger, I appreciate you joining me today. We appreciate all of you for listening to the Heaven Bound podcast. Roger, I was sharing with you, both you and I have done a fair amount of traveling this spring. It has been so encouraging to me to hear from people multiple states away who are listening to this program as they move the grass or run on the treadmill or head off to work, whatever it is, and it is so encouraging to hear that so many have a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. We appreciate that. We hope this episode has helped you set your mind on things above and given you a little more fuel for your journey this weekend. Always remember, when you're walking with Jesus, you're heaven-bound, and the best is yet to come.